One of my professors, uh, Dr. Mike Imlet, uh, tells the story of meeting with a woman who was coming to grips with loss after loss after loss in her life. And one day she was listening to the radio and she heard these words, unless your pain is transformed, it will be transferred. Let me say that again. Unless your pain in life is transformed, it will be transferred. Perhaps you've seen pain get transferred into something destructive, whether in your life or in the life of another. And it raises the question, is it really possible for pain to be transformed into something constructive? And this morning, the Lord speaks His truth in love from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, to answer that very question. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn there and follow as I read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is God's Word for us in Christ this morning. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, how we need Your Word to locate us, to orient us, to promise grace to us, and to call us to believe what You say and receive what You give. And not to hold on to it ourselves only, but to freely give it away. Would You meet us, Holy Spirit? Would You work with and by Your Word? 
And would you, would you bring to us even this morning the very comfort that is revealed in these words? And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians begins a little bit differently than most of the New Testament letters written by Paul. He typically begins with a prayer for his recipients. The exception is in Galatians where he begins with astonishment at his recipients. And only in his letter to the Ephesians and in the letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, does Paul begin with praise. Blessed be the God. Praise Him. Why does he exult? Because Paul sees three realities, and he wants us to see the same this morning. First of all, our dire need for comfort. Secondly, our true gift of comfort. And thirdly, our constant link to comfort. Paul is writing to a church that has all kinds of problems. And this church is suffering. And in this first half of his letter, he writes to defend his ministry. And in these introductory verses, he introduces, as one commentator puts it, the paradoxical nature of true, not false, but true gospel ministry. He's seeking to help people understand the difference between the truth and the counterfeit. Because hard things are coming at Paul. And Paul graciously and lovingly introduces to us these three wonderful realities. He wants us to see what he sees, and in seeing what he sees, he wants us to join him in praise. Blessed be the God. First of all, consider with me our dire need for comfort. Several times throughout the text, Paul uses the term affliction. It's a general category, 30,000 feet. It is a catch-all category that invites us to personalize and fill in the details. This is how Scripture often works. This is how the Psalms work. This is how so many Scriptures work. God gives us the general category that is sufficient and comprehensive to capture all of our lives, but invites us to particularize and fill in your details. Affliction. Listen as Paul fills in his details as he writes throughout the letter. Chapter 1. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Chapter 4, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. 
We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Chapter 6, we are treated, Paul says, as imposters, and yet we are true. As unknown, and yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Chapter 7. For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Chapter 11, the problem of false teachers coming at the church. For such men, Paul writes, are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Later in chapter 11, five times Paul writes, I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." At Damascus, the governor under King Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Chapter 12, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited conceited. Do you see what Paul is doing? At the beginning of the letter, he gives us the general category, and he's filling in the details, the situational hardships that press upon him, and he's inviting inviting you and inviting me to fill in your details. What's coming at you? What are you facing? What is just clobbering you situationally? The heat in the wilderness that is pressing down. A difficult relationship. A loss. A dream that will not come true. Hard things. The Bible is exactly about your story. And this word invites you to personalize. What affliction are you facing? 
But that's only one kind of affliction, the situational hardships that press against you. There's a second, the personal heartaches that rise within you because of someone you love. Paul fills in his details throughout the letter. Chapter 2, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Chapter 6, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, open wide your hearts to us. Have you ever suffered that sort of affliction? Your heart aches because you care so much about someone you love? It's a very unique kind of affliction. Paul writes, chapter 11, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And apart from other things, there is daily the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Paul cares about people. You know, sometimes I wonder, I wish I did not have taste buds because some things in life are so sour. But of course, I do have taste buds. Of course, I do care about people. But it's so hard to care sometimes, isn't it? Can you relate to what Paul is feeling? There's an affliction in really loving another person when that other person is going astray. It's really, really hard. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Paul writes to the church he loves. And finally, chapter 12, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. 
There's the affliction of situational hardships coming at you, and there's the affliction of personal heartache welling up within you. How would you fill in your details? Is there someone that you love? But they're drifting from the Lord. Oh, you want a good future for them, but it would appear they would not have it. Affliction. Our dire need for comfort. The Apostle Paul invites us to sit with that for a moment. Because if we don't understand our dire need, we will not understand the true gift of comfort. And that's where Paul goes secondly. Our true gift of comfort. Notice first that it takes a cascading pathway. It flows from the beginning. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. This is who God is for you in Christ. Why the plural, mercies? Why the adjective, all? As one commentator, Dane Ortland, puts it, because comfort is who God is for you in Christ Jesus. The great Puritan Thomas Goodwin once wrote, God has a multitude of all kinds of mercies, and there is no sin, and there is no misery, but God has a mercy for it, because He is a full and overflowing fountain. This is where the cascade begins, right at the fountainhead, right at the very beginning. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. But the cascade has a middle. It flows through the middle to you. The text says, this God of all comfort comforts us in all our affliction. Comfort is not only who God is, but comfort is also what God does. Again, Dane Ortland is helpful here. Every time a painful affliction arises, God's comfort rises to meet it and to calm it. It flows from the beginning. It flows through the middle. But did you notice? It flows to the end. We comfort those who are in any affliction. This is a very important principle in ministry. If you want to be helpful to someone else, you first must receive real help. The best helpers are the ones who have received the Father's help. Now, isn't that interesting? We're all counselees under the wonderful counselor. We're all in this together. None of us have figured it out. None of us have arrived. 
We're all in need of God's help, and yet we're all called to give God's help. What a surprise that God would deliver His care through people like you and me. By the way, this is why I'm so excited about the opportunity that Harvest Church has to host a conference for our church and for the community with Dr. Ed Welch. This is the biblical vision. Our theology tells us that in this world we will have all kinds of troubles. Now what? Our theology also tells us that the way that God delivers His care is to you and then through you. And this conference is an opportunity for you and I to grow in this vision. I hope you'll prayerfully consider it. I hope you'll join us that weekend in April. Because the biblical vision of a healthy church is that there is a river that runs through it. The proclamation on Sunday, the wise, loving, timely, tailored conversation on every day, as each part does its work to receive help and to give help. What a vision. And Paul sets it forth right here. This true gift of comfort has and takes a cascading pathway. Secondly, this true gift of comfort has a transforming purpose. Did you notice Paul's repeated language of purpose? First, he states the biblical principle in verse 3. God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then did you notice that in verse 6, Paul makes personal application of this biblical principle. He says, if, listen for the language of purpose, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Do you see the purpose, the transforming purpose of this true gift of comfort? That raises a question. Did you notice ten times in four verses, Paul speaks of comfort. So we'd better be clear on what he means by this very important term. You know, the world gives a very narrow meaning of the word comfort. They speak in terms of an easy, comfy life, a pat on the back, perhaps an arm around the shoulder, perhaps a pep talk, it's going to be okay. The world speaks of, of a way of bringing relief that eases your grief, pain, distress, all good gifts, but it doesn't go deep enough. Because each of these 
is a very passive experience. The Bible gives this term comfort a full and robust meaning. My professor, Dr. David Pallison, puts it this way. God's comfort is unusual. He doesn't make life easy. He doesn't take struggle and hardship away. He even adds the pain of caring. But our Father's comfort actively strengthens you in the midst of weakness, pain, and need so that you can take heart and take action. We have very good reasons for feeling vulnerable and overwhelmed, but God's forms of comfort give better reasons to live with courage, humility, and purpose. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort heartens us when we feel disheartened. He encourages us so we become able to encourage others. Do you see the difference? This transforming purpose. I don't know about you, but certainly in me, affliction tends to turn me in and down cast. But this gift of comfort turns us up faith in the Lord. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Oh, but then it moves out. To love your neighbor, to make the right sort of constructive difference in her life or his life. Do you see that your afflictions are actually not an obstacle, but in fact are the doorway through which God's comfort comes to you? And do you see that your neighbor's afflictions are the doorway through which God's comfort flows to you and through you and changes them? The cascading pathway, the transforming purpose. But how can all of this be? Well, it's because of the indwelling person. In his farewell discourse, Jesus emphasized his relationship to and his identification with the Spirit in the Spirit's ministry to assure his disciples. Do you remember in the farewell discourse, chapter 16, where Jesus explains, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's not to your disadvantage. It's actually to your very strong advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the paraclete, the term that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the helper, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let not your heart be troubled. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He dwells with you, and he will be in you. The Spirit this Holy Spirit of God is your gift. He is the one who mediates the Father's mercies to your troubled heart. 
We've considered our dire need for comfort. And we've considered our true gift of comfort. But let's consider thirdly, our sure link to comfort. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Did you notice? You could miss it if you were going fast. Four signals the reason that we are receivers of God's comfort and givers of God's comfort. Paul interprets the Christian experience, his and yours, through a set of eyeglasses. He sees and he wants you to see that your life happens in union with Jesus Christ. In other words, your story is embedded in Christ's story. And so he says, on the one hand, verse 5, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. It's a theme that punctuates the letters in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church. His controlling gaze is that the church is united to Christ, such that Christ's sufferings plus our sufferings equal one whole. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not that there is anything lacking in Christ's sufferings in terms of the saving power of His death. Here's Paul's point. It remains for the church to complete Christ's mission of advancing the gospel in the world through suffering. That's how the engine of redemption moves forward in the path of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Richard Gaffin puts it this way in a wonderful book called The Usefulness of the Cross. Christ's sufferings plus the church's sufferings equals the total quota of sufferings necessary to push redemption to its final goal. So we suffer in Christ. But did you notice on the other hand, Paul writes, through Christ, verse 5, through Christ we share abundantly in Christ's comfort too. About a month ago, I, I preached on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there we learned that the Holy Spirit was Jesus' faithful companion and strong support throughout His life and ministry, especially in His affliction. Recall in the garden when Jesus caught a glimpse of the altar that awaited Him, it was by the Spirit 
that he was strengthened. On the cross, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, Jesus, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God. And at the tomb, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. And then from His throne, on Pentecost, Peter preaches, saying, exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. In other words... Jesus turns on the tap. Jesus opens the floodgates. And because you are united to the resurrected and comforted Christ, the cascade of comfort flows from the Father and the Son to you by the Spirit. What the Spirit was present to do in Jesus, the Spirit is now present to do in you. Christ is your link. It is through Christ that holy spiritual comfort flows from the Father to you and through you to others. Now let's reflect a bit as we bring this to a conclusion. Our text began with a word of praise. It concludes with a word of hope. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Again, the ground of Paul's unshaken hope is, is our union with Jesus Christ. He will comfort us. But how? This week, I want to encourage you to look for the way God is seeking to comfort you. Here are several ways. Again, thanks to one of my professors, David Pallison. Look for these this week. God comforts you by what He says to you. As you open up your Bible and as you read, look carefully at the word that He speaks to you. He's out to comfort you. Secondly, as you read your Bible, as you're in that small group, look for how God comforts you by what He does. How does He show you that He loves you? What has He done in the past? What is He doing in the present? What is He going to do in the future? What does He do to show you that He loves you? Third, God comforts you by His loving presence. He says that I am with you. Fourthly, God comforts you by what other Christians say to you. I was so comforted by one of you earlier this week. You left a little note in my mailbox, a little card. And in very simple, sincere words, you said, your work does not go unnoticed. Thank you. God comforted me as you spoke. 
such kind words. So be on the lookout for what other Christians say. Fifthly, God comforts you by what other Christians do. How do they show you that they love you? Sixthly, God comforts you by other Christians' loving presence. They come near you. They are committed to walk with you. Seventh, God comforts you by letting you see good fruit in other people around you. Isn't that the most delightful sight when you see your sister, your brother in Christ bearing good fruit? God's comforting you. Finally, God comforts you by letting you see good fruit in you. Wow, I've got a long way to go, but I'm changing a little bit. Thank you, Lord. He's comforting you by showing you what He's doing in you. Recall those wise words of that woman with whom we started. Unless your pain is transformed, it will be transferred. Something is always cascading from you to the people around you. Unless we come to know God's comfort in our suffering, our pain, our anger, our bitterness, it will get transferred to other people. But as we come to know God's comfort in our sufferings, our pain will be transformed into something wonderfully constructive. Your Father will comfort you in all your affliction so that you may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which you yourself are comforted by God. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, we have dire need for comfort. This is a hard season in the life of our church. And we look to you and ask that you would give us this wonderfully transformative gift of comfort, the very Holy Spirit. Thank you that Jesus has turned on the tap, opened the floodgates, waters will gush forth in the wilderness. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, you said, Lord Jesus, and let the one who believes in me drink. From your innermost being, you said, Lord Jesus, will flow rivers of living water from your heart to our heart. Would you do it in a fresh way? In this season, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with